0: You're listening to a sermon from Darabin Presbyterian Church. Visit us online for more resources or to get in touch. Uh, good afternoon everyone. Uh, my name's Aaron, one of the pastors here at DPC. Uh, so we're here in the book of Ephesians, we've heard so far, uh, Paul speak about how through faith in Christ we have been brought into this incredible union with God and his people. It's a wonderful picture of peace and harmony and reconciliation. And yet if you've been a part of a church for a while, you know it's not quite as perfect as that. Are you conscious perhaps of certain cliques within the community? Maybe you know that this person's avoiding that person. There's tensions. And maybe sometimes there's even division. It can be really hard to live out our faith together to maintain the unity that we already have with one another in Christ. Again, we read in Ephesians about, we saw in the second half of chapter 2, how Paul says that Christ's death on the cross has put to death hostility in, in, amongst different people. Those who were once far apart have been brought near to one another. They're actually able to forgive one another and be at peace with one another. And of course that does happen often. And yet at other times when someone has hurt you or disappointed you so much, when you feel like they've let you down, not just once but many times, it's not that easy to forgive. It's not that easy to live at peace with other people. It can be hard to live together as Christians. Again, we read, we've read in the book of Ephesians so far that one of the, the wonderful graces that God has given us through faith in Christ is to be adopted into God's family. We are those, as we've sung already this afternoon, who know the love of God, our Heavenly Father, but also are at least supposed to know the love of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ. And often we do know that love. And yet sometimes it's really hard to keep loving one another. Again, when someone sinned against you, when there's been a miscommunication, when someone's made a a dismissive comment that they haven't given a second thought to but it's cut you really deep and it just seems easier to distance yourself from others, even to disconnect from them altogether. It can be really, really hard to live together as Christians and Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus knows just that. He knows that it's really hard to live out our faith together as Christians. In fact, Paul knows that it's so hard it's something we cannot do by ourselves. It's something we can only do if God himself is at work in our midst by his power. That's the purpose of Paul's prayer in today's passage. Why don't you turn to today's passage. Uh, This is the purpose of Paul's prayer. Uh, in chapters uh, 1 to 3, Paul's been unpacking who we are in Christ as God's people. And he said that God has brought you into this deep union with one another, uh, to live with one another in relationships with love. He's about to launch into a section in chapters 4 to 6 where he tells us how we might express our love for one another, how we, how we might live out our unity with one another. Uh, but he knows that we won't be able to do that Unless he prays for us. Unless God is at work in our midst. And so Paul starts his prayer. If you look at verse 14, he starts by saying, for this reason. Uh, If you've got the passage open, you'll see that these words, for this reason, tell us that in Paul's mind, he's going back to chapter 3, verse 1. Scan back to chapter 3, verse 1. You'll see that Paul starts there also by saying, for this reason. And then Paul gets a bit distracted, you know, in verses 2 to 13, he goes on a bit of a tangent, the passage we looked at last week about the mystery of Christ, the world's best-kept secrets uh, that God has made known, that anyone on the planet can be a part of God's people through faith in Christ. So Paul goes on that bit of a tangent. Uh, and now here in verse 14, he comes back to his train of thought from verse 1. He says, for this reason. For what reason? What is Paul looking back to in chapter 2? Well, in particular, he's looking back to chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. If you've got your Bible, you can flick to chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. I won't read them out, but you'll see there that Paul in those verses was talking to the Ephesians about how through faith in Christ, they have literally become living stones in the temple of God. They are being built together into the very dwelling place of God, the place where God himself dwells by the power of God of his spirit. So what's Paul saying when he says for this reason? I think he's saying because I know Ephesians, brothers and sisters in Ephesus, because I know that you are the very dwelling place of God where God already dwells by the power of his spirit, I want you to know that I'm on my knees praying for you. I'm on my knees praying that God would be at work among you in his power enabling you to live out your faith in Christ, to maintain the unity that Christ has won for you, to love one another as God's people. This is the purpose of Paul's prayer. So, in verses 14 and 15, we see the posture of Paul's prayer. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. Uh, Maybe some of you have grown up in uh, traditions of Christianity or some other religion where rituals were a really big deal. It was important to know when to cross yourself and when to kneel and when to stand and when to lift your hands and there was kind of this unsaid thing. Uh, And so you might think, Aaron, why draw attention to the fact that Paul is kneeling? Don't get so ritualistic with me. I've been there and done that. What's way more important when I approach God in prayer is the posture of my heart, not the posture of my body. And I want to say yes and amen, that is absolutely right. But you can have all the right posture with your body and if your heart's not in the right place, then it doesn't matter. And yet, sometimes the posture of our bodies can actually influence the posture of our hearts. And we saw earlier this year in our series, God's Good Design, uh, that we as human beings are embodied souls. Right? Our body and soul, our body and heart are intimately connected so, we can't just say what's going on in my body has nothing to do with what's going on in my heart. Actually, they affect one another. So, sometimes if you want to approach God with complete humility and dependence before him, it might actually help your heart to kneel before him as Paul does here. Well, that's the picture here. Paul coming before God, his Father, in complete dependence before him. Why? Because he knows that the Ephesians have a deep need, a need that only God the Father can meet. That is a need for God to be at work in his power. For so he kneels before the Father in prayer. I was thinking about this during the week, uh, Paul kneeling before the Father and um, I was... Pretty convicted by it. Um, if you know me, I'm a, I'm a pretty active person. Sometimes perhaps too active. You know, always looking for the next thing. Over the last 10 years, being a, a pastor at DPC, I've often been aware of issues in my own life, issues in the life of the church, conflicts, tensions, problems, complexities, all of that. And often my response has been to be on my feet, trying to sort it all out myself, trying to fix everything have all the answers, you know? So, I was a bit challenged this week. My, often my response has not been to fall to my knees before God my Father and say, Father, I just can't work it out. Like I, I, I just don't have the answers. I've tried to solve this problem and no matter how hard I try, I actually seem to make it worse, not better. I think this is important for us to remember in general but perhaps even in particular tonight uh, and in the coming weeks where we've got some tricky stuff to work through as a church, some financial challenges that we'll talk about at a congregational meeting tonight. I think it's important for us to remember that it's spiritually healthy for us to be on our knees together as a church before our Father admitting that none of us by ourselves have all the answers. We've got some wonderful servants uh, and amongst the elders and amongst the board. Uh, they've been working together. But the session and board together don't have all the answers but our Heavenly Father's not confused and so we fall to our knees before Him in humble dependence on Him. And it's fitting to fall to our knees before God, our Father, because notice how Paul describes Him in verse 15. He is the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Uh, There's some different takes on what exactly Paul means by this. I think Paul's saying uh, that God, our Heavenly Father, uh, is the giver of life to every living being. Uh, So spiritual beings in heaven uh, and human beings on earth, God, our Father, gives life to all of them. He is the originator of all life. In that sense, He is the Father of all humanity, the Father of all living beings. So, isn't it appropriate that we come before him acknowledging our dependence upon him, acknowledging that he gave us life, that he sustains our life, and that every breath we take is a gift from him. That is a picture of complete and humble dependence before God. That is the posture of Paul's prayer, humble dependence before God, his father. In verses 16 to 19 we see the actual petitions of Paul's prayer. What is it that he's asking God his Father for? Uh, there are four petitions. The first in verses, uh, is in verses 16 and 17. Paul asks uh, God to strengthen the Ephesians with power in their inner being uh, by the power of Christ's Spirit. So notice in verse 16 Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, glorious riches, you remember last week we dwelt a little bit on chapter 3, verse 8. Paul said that in coming to faith in Christ, we have come to the person who has boundless spiritual riches. Incomprehensible, unlimited, boundaryless spiritual riches These are found in Christ. Here uh, we see that Paul says God our Father has glorious riches. What's the point? The point is that uh, our triune God, Father, Son and Spirit have no shortage of resources to meet any prayer that we might bring to them. Notice verse 21. We'll come back to verse 21 uh, in a a few weeks' time at some point. But Paul says, out of his glorious riches, God our Father uh, can uh, can, uh, answer our prayers uh, even more than any of us could ask or imagine. Oh I can imagine some pretty amazing things for the work of the gospel in this part of Melbourne. We must never ever think that God our Father is somehow short of resources that we could ask him for something that he wouldn't have the goods to deliver on. I'm not saying he will deliver on all of them, he's sovereign, he knows what is best. But he has glorious riches. The problem is not that he's short on resources. And so Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches our Father might strengthen you with power uh, through his Spirit in your inner being uh, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. And that last sentence is, is one of the sentences that confused me during the week, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. Uh, Paul's writing to Christians, right? Like, if, I mean, my understanding is that if you're a Christian, Christ already dwells in your hearts through faith. So what does Paul mean? I'm pretty sure his theology hasn't gone wonky. Uh, What does he mean by saying, so that Christ might dwell in your hearts uh, by faith? Uh, Well, first of all, uh, as I was confused by this and reading up on it during the week, I think actually Paul didn't say, so that Christ might dwell in your He may have actually said, as Christ dwells in your hearts by faith. Because the words there could be translated as as rather than so that. So rather than saying, I've been praying this so that the result is that Christ dwells in your heart by faith. Paul's actually saying, I'm praying this uh, and this is the same thing, as the same as this. Uh, So the two verses uh, are actually in parallel. If you take a look again uh, at verses 16 and 17, uh, you'll see that your inner being in verse 16 is a kind of parallel to your hearts in verse 17. Uh, The Spirit strengthening you in verse 16 is parallel to Christ dwelling in your hearts in verse 17. So Paul, rather than one being the result of the other, uh, both parts of the prayer uh, are actually kind of saying the same thing from different perspectives. What does Paul mean when he says, "I pray that my God, that Christ might strengthen you, or God might strengthen you with power"? Uh, I found it helpful that the word "strengthen" can also mean "fortified." Uh, my boys really love, uh, you know, building forts. Even indeed Ada uh, doesn't mind building a fort either, out of Lego or. Duplo, if, you know, Felix is a bit younger, so he's on the Duplo brick still. Uh, I was fascinated with forts as a kid. What's a fort? It's a strong and powerful building. Something that's kind of impregnable. Something that can't be knocked around by the storms of life. What's Paul praying for the Ephesians? He's praying that in their midst of their weakness and brokenness and all their frailties, that they would know the fortifying power of Christ's spirit in their inner being. Uh, that Christ himself, remember the Christ who Paul has already said in Ephesians has been raised from the dead uh, and is seated at the right hand of God, Uh, the Christ who is above all, who reigns over every power. Paul says, I want you to know deeply and profoundly that that Christ rules and reigns in your heart from a thought which cannot be shaken. Now, if you're anything like me, that's not how you feel most of the time. That's not how I was thinking about this image of a fort during the week, uh, and my, my inner being uh, rarely feels like a strong and powerful thought. More like a, if you look up Google later on, you know, uh, old ruins or you know, rubble of fort. Like that. That's kind of how my heart, my soul feels lots of the time. I suspect you're not that different. Many of our hearts don't feel like strong and powerful thought thoughts. So what a good prayer to pray, that we would be strengthened in our inner beings by the power of Christ's Spirit. Then the second of Paul's prayers in verse 17, he prays that the Ephesian Christians might be rooted and established in love. Remember when Jesus was asked to kind of summarise what does it mean to live as God's people? What's the essence of the Christian life? He said it's about loving God and loving others. Right? Love is kind of key to the Christian life. So it's no surprise. If you want to flick back to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, uh, you'll see there that Paul is filled with thanks because he's heard uh, not just about the Ephesians' faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but about their love for all the Lord's holy people. I'm encouraged because you guys are the real deal as Christians. You love one another. If you flick on to chapter 4, verse 2, chapter 4, verse 2, Paul there, you'll see he's going to urge the uh, Ephesian Christians uh, to bear with one another in love, uh, to be patient with one another so they can maintain their relationships of love. Uh, And if you scan down, if you're in chapter 4, you'll see in verses 15 and 16, Uh, Paul says, speak the truth in love to one another uh, so that you might build one another up in love. There's this big emphasis on strengthening relationships of love, loving community in the body of Christ. And if you flick over to chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1, you'll see that Paul calls the Ephesian Christians together uh, as God's dearly loved children to imitate their Heavenly Father, to walk in the way of love. This is the call of the Christian life for us to be committed to loving one another. Uh, Paul knew that he needed to pray this for the Ephesians. Uh, Maybe as a church they're having a honeymoon period, I don't know, where loving relationships are going well but he knew there'd be times where it was hard. Just as there are times when it's hard for us to keep committing to loving one another. It's easy to love someone when they've never disappointed you or failed you or sinned against you or hurt you in any way. But when relationships get complicated, we need God to be at work in our hearts by the power of his Spirit so that we can forgive one another, so we can have the boldness to confess our sins to one another, so that we can seek to be at peace with one another and be strengthened, be rooted and established in love. Notice those uh, kind of imageries that Paul's using. Uh, Some plants have shallow roots, so the first sign of trouble, they're uprooted. Paul says, your relationships of love must have deep roots so that when challenges come, they'll be able to withstand it or establish, that's a picture of construction, isn't it? Firm foundations, deep foundations. This is what Paul prays for the Ephesians and it's what we need to be praying for us on our knees before God our Father saying God some relationships are strained, that happens, there's disappointment sometimes but Father please root us and establish us in love that people might say that's a group of Jesus' disciples for they love one another. A third Paul prays in verses 18 and 19 uh, that the Ephesians uh, might experience the fullness of Christ's love. Notice verse 18. Uh, Paul says, I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people uh, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ uh, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So Paul prays first that by God's power, we would be able to keep loving one another, and now he prays so that by God's power we would know the fullness, we would experience the fullness of Christ's love. I say experience because you know you see the words know in that verse and grasp in that verse. They're not just about kind of ticking an intellectual box, like reading a Bible verse that says Christ loved you and going, okay, I know Christ loves me. Paul's saying Paul's talking about grasping something so deeply and comprehensively that it becomes a part of your personal experience and that you personally have known and experienced the love of Christ in all its fullness, in all its dimensions. Of course, there's a certain irony in these verses. You see in verse 19 uh, that Paul says the love of Christ surpasses knowledge. So, on the one hand, Paul's saying, I pray that you'd know this love all the more in all its fullness and on the other hand he's saying don't expect to know it in all its fullness because it's incomprehensible it's boundless it's limitless you'll never know it in its fullness but you ought to pray that you would know the love of Christ more in all its dimensions now some people say the the dimensions of Christ's love here you know the height the width the length and so on uh, they're just a bit of uh, rhetorical flourish on Paul's part you know he's getting a bit carried away in the spirit and there's nothing kind of deeper maybe to to read into it and I think there's kind of like some truth to that like Paul is a a good writer and so on but I do think in the context of of Ephesians there's maybe a little bit more that we could learn about the love of Christ. Uh, Following here uh, you could read up later on, Uh, this is not kind of original ideas on my part, Uh, a guy named John Stoss if you uh, heard of him, he wrote a, a commentary on the book of Ephesians and he made this observation. I just found it really helpful. I, I'm not quoting John thought exactly, but the gist of what he said uh, was that Paul wants us to know that the love of Christ is wide enough. But what's Paul been saying in the book of Ephesians? He's been saying the love of Christ is not just for the Jewish people. The love of Christ is for people of every nation. It's all-encompassing, all-inclusive, There's no one excluded from the love of Christ. He wants us to know that deeply and profoundly. The love of Christ is wide enough to know the width of Christ's love and he wants us to know the length of Christ's love. Think about Ephesians so far. Paul's been painting on a canvas of eternity. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, he said, the love of Christ began before the creation of the world when God the Father chose you in Christ to be his. And in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, he talks about the final redemption of God's people and uh, us as God's children going to enjoy our glorious inher- inheritance, the new heavens and new earth. And the love of Christ is long enough to last through all of that. Christ will not grow tired of loving his people. He loved them before the creation of the world and he will love them forever. The love of Christ is long enough, Paul says. And the love of Christ is deep enough Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3, remember Paul said uh, that we were dead, spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins. But the love of Christ was deep enough to reach down into the depths of the grave and give us new life. As I might say, you, you've got no idea how deeply my life is messed up. I'm way far, way too far away from God. The love of Christ is deep enough. You might be in a big hole, but his love can get you out. The love of Christ is deep enough to raise you up and it's high enough. You know what the height of Christ's love? Well, he's raised you up and seated you with himself in the heavenly realms. The love of Christ is high enough. This is what Paul's praying, I think. If nothing else, it's a useful exercise for us to meditate on to think about all the dimensions of the love of Christ for us. And to kind of experience the love of Christ in all its dimensions together. Notice Paul says, I pray that you know the love of Christ together with all the Lord's holy people. Now we live in a pretty individualistic culture, that kind of, seeps into Christianity a bit, kind of like, well, oh, my, my Christianity is about me and my relationship with Christ. And it is, like there is a real sense in, every per- in which every person needs to personally trust in Christ. And yet, if your experience of Christ's love is limited to your own experience, then I think you won't understand the fullness of Christ's love. How is it that you come to understand the all-encompassing width of Christ's love? Well, it's it's about being together with the Lord's holy people and you see people from different cultures and backgrounds and classes and educational backgrounds and political persuasions and you're reminded, that's right, the love of Christ is wide enough. It's way more inclusive than I'll ever be. You won't know that unless you're together with all the Lord's holy people. How do you know that the love of Christ is long enough if you only ever hang out with youth group people and uni students? Well, What do you need? There's a wonderful thing about hanging out with other uni students, but if you want to know about the length of Christ's love, you've got to have loving connections with people, who older saints, who've been walking with Christ for decades. And they can testify about the loving faithfulness of Christ over a longer period of time and so you get a sense, okay, Christ remains faithful in his love and faithfulness to his people. So, so Paul prays that the Ephesians might experience the fullness of Christ's love together. A fourth, at the end of verse 19, Paul prays uh, that the Ephesians uh, might be filled up to the fullness of God's glory. Notice it's another kind of slightly confusing phrase. Paul says, I pray uh, that you may be filled uh, to the measure of all the fullness of God. One of those phrases, I don't know if you're like me but you're reading the Bible, there's some stuff that you understand and there's other stuff that you don't understand like this uh, kind of sentence and you just go, yeah, yeah let's move on. Right? Uh, filled up to all the measure of the fullness of God. Uh, Some of you, uh, if you're familiar with other parts of the New Testament, that language of the fullness of God uh, might ring a bell. Uh, So Ephesians and the book of Colossians often kind of go together. Uh, And in Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, it might be a bit harder to flick to, uh, but you can write it down. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19, uh, Paul says that God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ. So God, it sort of delighted God the Father, Uh, it pleased God the Father to have the fullness of his glory, his perfection, his beauty, his power, his majesty, the fullness of his glory to dwell in and to be seen in Christ his Son. The fullness of God is found in Christ God's Son. So what's our relationship to Christ God's Son in whom is found all the fullness of God? Well, flick back to chapter uh, Ephesians chapter one verse twenty-three. Ephesians chapter one, verse twenty-three. Paul's uh, explaining how we, as the body of Christ, are deeply connected with Christ, our Head, who is ascended into heaven, uh, and Christ, who is the fullness of God. Uh, and he says in chapter one verse twenty-three, uh, Christ uh, uh, that we sort of are connected with the fullness of Christ who fills everything in every way. So there's a real sense in which as Christians, by the power of God's Spirit, we are already connected with Christ, the one in whom is all the fullness of God's glory. Yet we know we're not like Christ in all his glory. Not yet, right? And so what does Paul uh, say in chapter 4, verse 13? I'm sorry if this is boring to you, but this is me trying to join the dots during the week. Chapter 4, verse 13... Uh, Paul says in chapter 4 verse 13 that the goal of kind of Christian growth and maturity is to what? It's to attain to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. Uh, So what's Paul praying in chapter 3 verse 19? I think he's praying uh, along the lines of by the power of God's spirit you Christians in Ephesus are already connected with the one who displays the fullness of God's glory. And what Paul wants to happen is that they would be filled up with the glory of Christ, the glory of God, and that they might radiate his glory in the world all the more and that they would grow and mature and become more and more like Christ as his people. Four petitions that Paul prays. Now, I wonder if you notice the overall pattern of Paul's prayer I'm going to summarise the the pattern, the kind of shape of Paul's prayer uh, as a kind of insatiable desire to go deeper with knowing Christ. I think is a theme of Paul's life in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I want to know Christ. That's his heart and that's what's going on here. He has an insatiable desire to go deeper with knowing Christ. I remember in chapter 1 verse 3 Paul said uh, that in Christ God our Father has already given us every spiritual blessing. God's given it all. He's held nothing back in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 3 verse 8, I mentioned it before, in Christ God has given us boundless spiritual riches. There's a sense in which you could say, what's the point in praying because God's already given us everything? But that's not Paul's prayer. He's saying his prayer is, yes, God has given you everything already, but you just don't know it deeply enough. His heart is to know Christ and all the blessings and riches that are found in him all the more. So if you think about the the prayers that Paul prays in this passage, Paul knows he's got his Christian theology sorted out. He knows that by faith in Christ, Christ already dwells in our hearts by the power of his Spirit. But he also knows that we don't experience the power of Christ in its fullness. We're often not fortified by the power of Christ. We don't always have a sense that Christ rules and reigns in our hearts. So he prays that we might know the power of Christ all the more. Likewise, Paul knows uh, that in Christ we've already been united with one another in relationships of love. He knows that. He knows that we're children of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, but he prays that our relationships would be strengthened all the more, would be rooted and established in love, that they would go deeper. He knows that through faith in Christ we've come to some sort of understanding that we are loved by Christ. But he's hungry for us to know that more, to know the love of Christ in its fullness. He knows that we're the dwelling place of God, chapter 2, verses 20 to 22. He knows that God dwells among us by the power of his Spirit in that sense, just as God's glory dwells in the temple, his, God, his glory dwells among us. But Paul prays that we would be filled up with God's glory so that we would radiate God's glory all the more in this world. Right. The pattern of Paul's prayer is an insatiable desire to go deeper with Christ and I think this is what uh, the heart of what we need to do when we come into troubles in the Christian life and community when it's hard for us to live together as Christians to go back to where I started we, I'd love it if we would fall on our knees together and say Christ we want to go deeper with you If you picture the boundless riches that are offered to us in Christ, I, I don't want to be a person and I don't want us to be a church that's kind of dipping our toe in the water of the ocean of blessings that God's given us in Christ. Well, let's be a church that dives right in and that's eager to explore together the incredible riches that we have in Christ. I think if we do that, uh, we would be strengthened by Christ's power in our inner beings. We would be rooted and established in our love for one another. We would know Christ's love in all its fullness and we would radiate and put on display God's glory in his world. Uh, Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, Paul's prayer uh, for the Ephesians and what we can learn about it for ourselves. Oh, our Father, I pray that I pray that uh, some here, all of us here might have heard you speak to us uh, at least in some way through your word. I pray that you would stir up in us by the power of your spirit a desire to go deeper with Christ your Son a reminder of who we are as your people. Uh, Please, Father, bind us together in love and unity uh, that we might display the glory of Jesus your Son in whose name we pray. Amen.